Thrill Seekers, Explorers and Renegades out there, welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. Our topic for discussion today is biases. And as a noun, the uh, definition of bias is inclination or prejudice for or against one person or group, especially in a way considered to be unfair or as a verb. It's the uh, cause to feel or show inclination or prejudice for or against someone or something. And there, there is a uh, obviously a tendency here to uh, be biased in an unfair way. But I think uh, more in the pur- purpose of today's discussion it's more being biased in an imbalanced way. And if we look at the use of the word in psychology, it is the tendency to make decisions or take action in an unknowingly irrational way. And to put that a different way, it would be to say that you are being run by your conditioning or your programming by your subconscious mind. I also think of bias as a way to describe the kind of baseline attitude of your mind or baseline uh, baseline state of your mind so for example you can have a positive bias or a negative bias and uh, that kind of colors or taints your entire approach to uh, or your perception to uh, the world around you and until we free ourselves from all kinds of attachments, we do find ourselves oftentimes moving from one bias to another as we evolve. So today's discussion is very much centered around how we can identify these biases within ourselves and what we can do to perhaps release ourselves from these patterns of behavior that we end up in. I hope you will find in this discussion uh, whatever it is that you need for your path and for you to continue to become the optimal version of yourself. So enjoy this discussion. Robertson Davis in uh, uh, Tempest Toast wrote, The eye only sees what the mind is ready to comprehend. If we look at that, that really becomes the foundation for the bias. So the brain in itself is lives really in that dark cave and can't uh, make sense of anything unless we apply the uh, five senses. So it really is there to process input and to uh, create output. And, but that output is uh, created by the experiences and memories and so forth that you have created or your attitude, so to work. So... It's the general attention of our mind that, or the mindset that becomes the bias. Uh, So we can have a positive bias, ambivalent bias, negative, aggressive, defensive, controlling, submissive. submissive. Um, So there's a lot of different ways that we can look at the world, but that is our bias. So now that bias becomes the the foundation for how we see the world and how we approach it and how we uh, uh, live it, right? Now, if we tend to have a, say, negative bias or view the world from a negative point of view, um, then, of course, we are going to look for those things and that is then going to be our reality. So within this bias we are actually the ones that decide on that bias and we are the ones that choose 
their bias. Granted, a lot of times their choice might be a difficult one to control, but at the end of the day, we do still have their bias. So if we look at uh, the brain as a, there's a reward circuit where we have the uh, GABA, uh, different uh, uh, enzymes. For example, GABA is a calming enzyme. You have glutamate, which is the excitatory uh, enzyme. You have dopamine, which is the pleasure, right? Now, if you take glutamate, for example, the brain doesn't know the difference between excitement and fear. It's you, your perception and your bias that determines where the, uh, how the, uh, the enzyme is going to go. Is it going to the uh, amygdala or is it going to go to the uh, nucleus accumbens? Now, if it goes to the amygdala, we know what happens. It goes into uh, activates the stress response and therefore you then feel the stress in your body, anxiety and so forth. Now, if you see it as excitement, then uh, it goes into nucleus accumbens, which is then a, the reward system uh, or the reward center for the uh, uh, um, what's it called the uh, limbic system. Oh, yeah, the limbic system. Uh, so it becomes this uh, uh, hamster wheel, if you like, uh, where if we don't actually program our brain the right way it is going to work the way it's going to work based on your belief system and this is where we you know vision talks about the uh, rules and so forth uh, that the programming that we we install for ourselves or i suppose we can view it as have installed uh, because of our upbringing our the society we live in, you know, a religious affiliation of our parents and so forth, um, that becomes the path, those like the pathway or the signs within our brain to tell our brain, okay, if you have this input, I expect this output. Uh, and this is where the bias comes in. Well, actually, I have a question. Yep. How do you come to the conclusion or is there a method to come to this conclusion that your biases are have you on a treadmill before you're exhausted, before you've exhausted, you know, the various trails to find your path or find relief from it? Is there, you know, how do we achieve that without, you know, living half your life and becoming exhausted by it. And then finally just saying, I, I can't sustain this anymore. Well, that is a, uh, a very good question, isn't it? For ourselves, you know, it took me 44 years to come to the conclusion that something needed to change. And for me, it was uh, hitting rock bottom in terms of uh, uh, separating and splitting up of the family as well. Um, and I think that's often the case. We, we are, uh, as we've talked about in previous episodes, with, uh, yeah, we're, we're, we don't want to leave things, or we don't, we'd rather stay in, in the story we've already created rather than move into change, right? Loss of ocean. Uh, so we end up in, in this 
circular motion because it is also once we've pro programmed our subconscious, it is very challenging to get uh, remove those kind of programs, uh, and it, that is the bi part of the bias that feeds our uh, point of view or our perspective on life. So now, if you're half asleep at the wheel of in life, as it were, then it's very difficult for you to turn around and say, hmm, this sucks, right? You may reflect on it at times, but you probably shrug your shoulders and say, well, well, that's life, I suppose. It's on, oftentimes only when we come to the crossroads of uh, rock bottom that we wake up. Uh, unless we have people like you, Glenn, who show up in as a role model in, the, in the, uh, different places and allow people to, and you engage with people, not pushing your story on them, but allowing, sharing your story and for them to then reflect your story into themselves. Um, I think that's oftentimes uh, the best way. Um, you and I have talked about this before, so a um, bit of a loaded question, England, but that's all right. Um, but yeah, it, it, for the individual, I think you have to turn around. It's, it becomes the, uh, the situation that does it, whether that is showing up with someone who, who can reflect something within you that wakes something up within you, or you hit rock bottom or whatever it may be. Um, it really depends on the situation, and it depends on what tools you need to resource yourself with in life in order to uh, have that quote-unquote awakening, right? That makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And so as a follow-up question, you know, to me, it's a bit of a frustration that half, half your life, it goes away before these conclusions start arriving. And it just seems like there's an unfair game being played in some respects, because when you are growing up and, and leaving the nest and things like that, you're trying to find your tribe. You're trying to find who you are mm -hmm. and society or your culture gives you, Hey, you have these two highways and you can pick this highway or you can pick that highway. And if neither of those highways fit for you, what you end up doing is trying one of them anyway, or trying both of them. And as a consequence, again, more time is passing, more life is passing. And you know, we want to be accepted. We want to be part of a group. We want to have, find our, our, I guess our sense of well-being or a sense of belonging, even if there's a pecking order, we want to find it out anyway. And, you know, is there something more fundamental as human beings that we're missing that don't lend us to being that curious to really question things to this level, you know, when we're younger, when we have a lot of life ahead of us, you know, what is that that is maybe a missing ingredient that we can help cultivate in one another before half a lifetime has passed? Well, I think you, you hit the nail on the head yourself there. Uh, critical questioning, learning to question things because we go through school being taught that we are to, there to learn and basically cram all this knowledge, right? Uh, we go to university where, you know, they, at least where here in the UK, where I went to university, they, they do say that you're supposed to uh, start challenging the uh, concepts that you're being taught. Uh, 
but then when it comes to uh, exam time, six times out of ten, you get slapped on your fingers if you do challenge. Um, because, you know, you don't have enough uh, support for your arguments or whatever it is. Um, but, uh, no, I think it actually comes down to uh, a lot of times parents take a responsibility to uh, give the opportunity to their children question things and to become that uh, that next generation of uh, questioning, right? So I think that's definitely part of it. It definitely is. And biases, you know, as far as I'm concerned, is one of the things that has to be sorted out in order for us to find peace, you know, as human beings, as as a collective of human beings in a particular geographical area or whatever, that um, biases are the beginning of separation. And so then for me, it's, it's a somewhat of a somewhere to hide, you know, if you're not sure about life, you can hide behind some biases and, and say, okay, this is, this is why I'm acting this way, or this is why I'm setting up these boundaries is because of these religious reasons and, or what have you, because you're not sure how to stand up for yourself. You're not even sure anyway, me anyway, what the heck I believe, you know? And, and so biases are this tricky dance that I think a lot of us have where, yeah, maybe we know that they're wrong, but it also aligns us with a certain demographic that we somewhat agree with or somewhat belong to. And so there lies the dance, you know? Absolutely. I think we un- we have a tendency to end up in these echo chambers, don't we? Because we seek out, we, we attract people that vibrate on the same frequency as we do. So we, we end up with uh, essentially experiencing confirmation bias wherever we look, um, which is the result of your bias, <laughs> is that confirmation bias. And, uh, you know, social media and search engines and so forth um, are certainly not helping in that because the algorithms are uh, set up to give you exactly what you're looking for. Uh, so it's not giving you a, a variety. It's uh, honing in on what, uh, what your bias is and that then you if you're looking for certain aspects of society and you are going to then be uh, fed a certain side of the argument uh, over and over again right so that then becomes uh, part of that challenge barbie go ahead i'm going to say something that for most people it's going to be uh kind of a weird thing to say but i think uh kindergarten is the great equalizer and what happens is that the first five years of your life you basically spend with your family and you do all these things with your family and your family basically tells you all the things that it wants you to know as a baby and that oftentimes goes back to the attachment theory as to the primary caregivers that you get at the beginning of your life but ultimately, I know like for myself, when I was six months old, I knew all my blo- my blocks and letters. When I was two years old, I was reading Green Eggs and Ham, and my mom actually recorded me doing so. And when I got to kindergarten, I knew how to read books. It was not a big deal. And they had, you know, see Dick Run and see Spot Play and Get Ball, et cetera. When I got to kindergarten, 
I had no idea that other people didn't know how to read. I had no clue about that. And so all of a sudden at five years old, you find yourself faced with all of these other kids that have all been acculturated in their individual families. And now you're supposed to make a collective as a five-year-old with all these other other kids who all have their own ideas about the culture that they just came from. And so ultimately we really should be putting a lot of energy into kindergarten because that is like the big, huge place where we pop into this space, kind of like what Glenn is saying of not having to work, work you know, until the rest of the, the world you are. But it also goes back to the whole concept of the tabula rasa. Do we come in basically as a complete blank slate that's able to be able to be programmed with all these information pieces? Or do we come in with pre-programmed information that already comes from other places, et cetera, that's already in there? So that's the nature versus nurture argument, the tabula rasa versus the fact you have imprinting. And I think the cool part about why we're here now doing what we're doing and having you know Mind Valley type of experiences is that the whole entire thing we are doing is we are consciously individuating our own deprogramming and releasing all of this stuff that has been told to us as to who we are supposed to be. And because of that, it shifts everything. Then you get into a place of where you're deciding my definition of me and my individuation as to who I am turns into my own identity. And from there, I will respond to other people. Yeah. Thank you, Barbie. That's uh, yeah. And that, that all of these experiences then allows us to form our bias, right? So until we then become brave enough to start questioning our own journey or the, the, the programming that we've received, right? So uh, Barbie, in your case, perhaps that being in that environment then slowed you down in your development uh, or you know, you could have gone even faster in, in your development if you had been put in with kids that were uh, of that same uh, attainment level. But at the same time, then you would have ended up in an echo chamber. Uh, well, I, I did. I mean, they, they did. They basically, they figured out, they gave me kindergarten in the morning and they gave me first grade in the afternoon. And then I didn't belong to either of them. And then I started getting bullied because I wasn't a kindergartner and I wasn't a first grader. So it becomes this belonging thing of where now you have to start to attenuate your whole entire you know vibration as to, am I going to dumb myself down to be able to make other people comfortable with myself? And that's the part too, about where it's still, we have, you know, what are called upper limits where we kick up against those things that have been programmed in the past and due to all of that stuff that's happened in the past I, we still hit those levels but then it's the it's our job to be able to say okay now that i've hit this level and i know that i've hit something else which is either a projection or something else that i've experienced in the past that is not happening in the past anymore this is what is happening now and now i'm going to focus on this and how do i want to react to it in the moment rather than reacting to it the way I would have in the past. And that is when we come, become clearly super conscious because we are focusing on attenuating our in individuation from that perspective. Yeah, oh, sure. Appreciate that, Barbie. Uh, let's hear what Carol has to say. Hi, thank you very much. I chipped in a little bit later than usually, so I apologize if um, that has been already said, but just to kind of reflect on what uh, Glenn point was that I kind of read this as uh, biases create division and I agree with that but at the same time I part of me believes that biases uh, create the opportunities and if we try to look at the biases and our own biases as the as the signposts it can be really profound and changing experience is asking ourselves the question like 
why am I thinking this way? Why am I behaving this way? What sort of the social programming has got into me? What sort of the people that I'm surrounded by, what sort of the echo chamber, chamber that I'm in makes me think or do or act the way I do and think and act. So this bias can be used as a signpost and as the opportunity for growth. If I can look at this bias and say like, investigate that social, that, that internal dilemma that is within me and approaches from open mind with the open mind um, attitude and say, okay, I'm not entirely happy with that approach and I am biased against you know, this idea or that idea, that might give me the opportunity to grow and change my mind. Without that knowledge, without that expansion, I wouldn't be able to to change. So one of the goals or um, kind of positive aspects of bias is that investigative nature of it. Well, of course, if we didn't have the bias, we wouldn't uh, have anything to question because we would question everything anyway to begin with. So it's the same same reason we go through the challenges. The only way to know what it feels to feel good, as it were, uh, is to go through the challenge because you need the contrasting to understand uh, the other. So, I mean, what really happens is that we have that external stimuli, uh, whether that being hearing or seeing, whatever it may be, and then our brain then interprets it based on our experiences or rather our perception of our own experiences. And then it, you get that release of chemicals and then it triggers a reaction. So uh, what uh, Carol's uh, referring to there is that being able to interrupt that pattern um, and being able to catch yourself to say, hmm, is this really how I view my past experiences? And therefore, is this really how I want to react to this uh, uh, stimuli that is now coming into my brain? Um, and this is a process. This is you know, not something we kind of sort out in an afternoon. It's something that you have to work on and bring into life as a, um, as a practice. Uh, a lot of us practice meditation as one way to do that. But there are other things you can do like pattern interrupts, for example, um, because there's so many patterns in our lives. If there weren't, uh, we would end up going crazy because we can't keep everything in our, in our conscious mind, right? So brushing your teeth is a subconscious kind of pattern that we... Uh, uh, do or getting dressed or making your breakfast, whatever it is. But those kind of simple patterns, if you start changing those around, then you're going to start noticing other, other patterns as well. Just being able to understand that process of how uh, your bias uh, comes about can then allow you to start questioning things, right? So just to make sure I'm getting it correctly, it, it sounds like really the fundamental opportunity that Carol was referring to that a bias is an opportunity or like Christopher, you're fond of saying never waste a good trigger. Essentially, it's your opportunity to look at this bias or look at 
how this is playing out in your eyes and saying, does this bias serve me? Or like you, if you're taking stock of your self-talk, your thought life and just saying, this is my, my basis for deciding whether I want to keep this or not, or perpetuate this or not is, is this serving me? Is that fundamentally really what the opportunity is then? Well, I think bias is more of a overarching general uh, kind of demeanor, if you like. It's more, it's more generality. Like uh, if you have an aggressive bias, for example, then you're, whatever is being fed to you that is you need you feel threatened by or fear then you will take uh, the the response will be aggressive right mm-hmm. or if you have a negative bias uh stimuli that you're fed with you're going to re- react with a negative um response uh, whether that being through your words or your actions however it may be uh so it's it's not so much down to the individual trigger. It's more how you react in generality. Uh, so, I mean, you can take ambivalence uh, as a bias, right? Where, you know, the, nothing really bothers you or excites you, right? And people that experience depression usually uh, have that, uh, that bias, right? So... And of course, you know, oftentimes when we talk about difficult uh, mental challenges or mental illnesses or uh, what it may be, it's always difficult to hear that, you know, you have a choice in it. But oftentimes uh, you don't, but most of the time you do have a choice. Uh, there, there are choices that you've made along the way that has uh, allowed you to reach the point you're at. Uh, that's at least been my experience. Um, so it's the more the generality of it, and it's it's looking at your life, saying, "Oh, uh, do I really want to look at life through these negative eyes?" Uh, so I think uh, having a positive bias is probably more preferable to a negative bias. But then again, you if you have a positive bias, you probably want to watch out for uh, being naive or having rose-tinted glasses, right? Absolutely. You know, we can, it's like everything, it ends up being a a matter of trying to reach some sort of a balance. Um, And I think it was Barbie who uh, reflected on this earlier and Carol as well, that it's more about how you react to each experience you have so uh, that nobody can come and look at you and say oh he's good he's oh that that guy is such a, a you know worry words or he's so negative or he's always positive it's more that you look at each situation from the perspective of the uh, that the uniqueness of that situation right but that's that really is, tough to do yeah, um, that is also the practice of being able to understand for yourself how you can observe your own experiences. Because if you don't ex- observe your own experiences and reframe previous experiences you've had, uh, you will inevitably end up with another bias. 
right? And we've talked about spiritual bypass. Oftentimes, we, you know, spirit, for a lot of people, spirituality can be a coping mechanism where we, you know, the, someone look at you and go, oh, yeah, that, that, that guy, yeah, he's spiritual. And then that's your bias, right? So all your answers, all your reactions are going to be from this uh, spiritual point of view, right? Uh, uh, so it's it's really about looking at each individual experience as a unique experience and observing what emotions are coming up within you relating to that experience and kind of knowing that you have a choice how you are going to react and how you're going to think about that experience as opposed to letting the past or your past experiences um, uh, kind of have that hold on you and that program you so you bring up choice choice because i was going to ask that as well like some of our biases we don't know right we don't understand that we have them until something triggers us or until someone brings it to our attention and then we do have a choice and that choice sometimes takes a pretty substantial level of of courage because that choice may may be that this religious background or this religious um viewpoint that your family may have may not be something that you share in and then so how do we cultivate that courage and then simultaneously how do other people who've already kind of gone through these how do we help be i don't know maybe lighthouses or or maybe the fertile ground to help those individuals find courage um kind of like people who've grown up or or gone through uh, drug addiction they trauma bond right with other individuals and that is a way to connect and it is a way to bond and it's a way to belong as well but at some point you start realizing that trauma bonding requires a constant stream of trauma (laughs) and it's exhausting so um so you want to move out of that but just that's one of the things where aa and na and those types of programs really really come in they provide a a place for someone to put a new anchor in in order to escape the tractor beam of of their former lifestyle mm-hmm. so do you, you know i think that's something we need to consider as a as individuals and as a collective is how do we how do we act as that those signposts and lighthouses for those individuals to help bolster their strength well, from my point of view, and uh, you probably will know this, Glenn, that uh, it all comes down to showing up as a role model um, and to being available to support anyone who's uh, going through that, right? Um, and I think a lot of times you, you end up in this or you have that support for as long as you need it, right? Um, there are people that exist in uh, AA or whatever it is, they kind of stay in it for 30, 40 years. And whatever, how long it's going to need for them to uh, kind of move through their challenges. But a lot of times, I think there are also, it becomes, it's like going to a a psychiatrist where you essentially every time you just talk about your uh, the problems you talk about your experiences you talk about it you talk about it you talk about it you talk, if you go to a psychotherapist you end up more to, 
discovering the root of it and then finding the solution to it, right? So it's, it's um, and that becomes then part of your bias as well. Are you there, are you showing up in life to tell your victim story or are you showing up in life to tell your hero story? When are you ready to move on? And that's perfectly up to each individual to experience for themselves. But, really good differentiation. Like that puts it in perspective. Yeah. So Barbie, you wanted to uh, chime in, go ahead. Well, I think like what Glenn is talking about, a lot of the groups basically, it's like, you know, there's a story of the, like if you go to a lot of restaurants, you see crabs and they're put in a very shallow um, dish and it's not a high lid. And, and I know there's kind of a story that says, you know, why is it that they're in such a shallow dish? And the reasoning is, is that if one crab literally tries to get out of the dish, the other crabs will basically pinch it and pull it back in. So it doesn't have the ability to go out and become what it wants to be. It will constantly be pulled back by the collective. And for being a part of the collective, part of a tribe, there's safety in that. And there has been safety in that in the past. But ultimately, if we're all these amazingly activated individuals, we can become so much more powerful, but because the collective basically will in a lot of ways hold you back because it wants you to conform to certain rules and regulations. I mean, I understand that from a perspective of safety and I understand that completely, but by the same token, it's still something of where that, that wanting to come back and still say, well, I'm, I'm traumatized because of what happened to me at this time. So therefore I need to stay attached to the emotions because this happened to me. Instead, it's being able to choose every single day, the new version of yourself. And then when you find yourself getting triggered by something, you need to see whether or not you've been triggered from the, something in the past, or if it's triggered from something that's in the current amount of, of what you're going through in the moment. And so I think that's the part about mindfulness that comes in with this too. Are you going on autopilot based on previous programming or are you now in that frame of choosing something new and looking at it from that different perspective? Because again, it's like sitting around with people who are all just gonna like pat your back and be the echo chamber that you're talking about and be yes men and like, oh, you're wonderful. Oh, you're wonderful. Oh, you're wonderful. If it's not authentic and it's not genuine, it doesn't mean anything because you can hear that that over and over again. Mm -hmm. But ultimately when you're people that will be able to challenge you in regards to, you know, well, why do you believe that? And, oh, well, why do you feel that opinion? And, and, oh, you know, what made you decide this, et cetera. The most important thing. And when I work with clients, this is something too, is the fact that you can basically fight for your old stories if you want to. But the question is, why are you so attached to staying in the middle of all of that? Why, why are you so attached to all those kind of things? And it's like, if you can choose something different and you can look at it from a different lens, you're not in that toxic positivity of where you're just love and light, love and light, love and light, love and light. Cause that also is a spiritual bypass. And I remember back in like the, I think that the 1970s, they used to talk about, you know, a lot of times people would get off heroin and get off the street, but then they'd go get high on Jesus. So if you got then went go, go get high on religion, you're still getting high on something. You're still addicted. You're still in an addictive mentality, mm -hmm. as opposed to the fact that your spirituality can be a form of source and joy and, and you know beauty. But it's still in that sense of where it's needing something, and you're not in that flow. Once you find that flow, where you're in that space of the energetic frequencies, and it all resonates within you, that law of re resonance to me is the most important thing that allows you to be able to continue choosing differently because you get grounded into your body and you know what it feels like when you make a good choice. Yeah, and it's 
the, the coping mechanisms we create for ourselves are there. We create them so that we don't have to deal with the discomfort uh, of the emotions that we've ignored and neglected to deal with to begin with, uh, like we talked about uh, before with the uh, core wounding. Um, so it, uh, we, we replace it with, um, you know, if we stop drinking, we stop smoking, we replace it with something else. And it's only when we've actually healed the source of it or been able to reframe the source of it um, that we can then move on and uh, release that uh, behavior. Uh, so interrupt, uh, interrupting that pattern and that behavior. So we can't really, can't really change the way our brain works. It's going to release the, uh, the the hormones it's going to release and it's going to have, it has its neurological pathways. Yes, there are certain pathways we, we can change, but it's not, you know, we can't change how the brain operates in essence. So what we can change is how we look at the world. So the bias essentially, because what directs the bias is how we look at the world. So you have, it's kind of a circular system where you have the external, going back to that again, with the external stimuli, stimuli, and then you have an interpretation happening in the brain. You have the reaction that then becomes the validation for, uh, for the interpretation. So it's like, yes, that was correct. And then you have something called the reticular activating system that then goes out and seeks out uh, other uh, situations or validations for this that you do then look at, and then that becomes the external stimuli again, and around it goes, right? So it is really that database at the ba- uh, of memories at the, by that interpretation that is or that feeds into the interpretation, that's what we can change. And that's what we can, uh, man, uh, not manipulate, but we, we can manage to suit how we want to live our lives, right? But, but that's also why it's really, really important that we make sure at this point in our lives when we're conscious and we're choosing and we're doing that on our, on our own, that the five people that you surround yourself, the most important thing is that the five people you surround yourself with the most need to be the most loving, amazing people who also will allow you to be challenged and be able to bring out the best in you and will always want the best for you. That is something of where you can make that choice yourself. And so for a lot of people, it means that they end their marriages. For some people, it means that they step away from their families. They step away from different pieces because those people no longer support the new version that they wanna be. And if you're around people who literally don't want you to succeed and they don't want you to go to the ne- next level, that's not loving. That, that, that is basically a form of, again, the addict crabs who will basically pull you back because they want you to stay at the same level that they are. And I think this is the whole thing too of where you know people get into that whole you know competitive thing and who are you and who do you think you are and all that other kind of stuff. So people basically, even if they want to step into their greatness, a lot of people will basically, especially like in social media, they'll just poke them. I mean, just like constantly. I mean, the other day I was looking at my, my, my screen on my computer and I saw that news was that somebody had like liked a tweet i'm like it's now news that somebody liked a tweet are you kidding me that is news so <laughs> these are the kind of things of words like i didn't click on it because i didn't care but i just thought to myself you know 
if this is where we're so desperate for information that we need to know whether or not somebody clicked the button or not, and we, and you know, it goes out to millions of people, that's a sad commentary on a lot of things. But again, choose the most important thing as the five people that you surround yourself on a regular basis need to be those people who are becoming the best versions of themselves and want you to be as well. Well, and it's not only the people that you surround yourself with, it's the content you surround yourself with. So like you're saying, with news and uh, media. Or fake news. Yeah, Don't well, consume fake news. Yeah, sure. I mean, and that, that's something we have to decide for ourselves. So, um, you know, in terms of whether it's fake or real news, I decide I tend to prefer not to have any news at all because, you know, if something is happening in China, it's not really... Yes, it might affect me, but on a day-to-day basis, it doesn't affect me. So I prefer to look at positive, inspiring stories that then allows me to see what see my world from an inspiring point of view. News are often there to, unless you know, it's news around here in my local community that okay, there's been a car accident on uh, A40 or A44 out here. Oh, perhaps I shouldn't go that way when I go and pick up the kids, right? Um, those news are helpful because they they have a practical application. But for me to know that, you know, there's a warship in uh, the South China Sea, this doesn't really have an implication on my day-to-day living. So therefore, the purpose of that news, for, from my point of view, would be to... Uh, create that scare mentality within myself and I don't need that that's really not necessary so I choose to limit that intake so again it is the external stimuli does is another part that we can work on but that then helps you to reframe your own experiences it helps to uh, rearrange the database and your memories in a way that your bias is going to be more appropriate for, uh, or that you can observe your bias in a totally different way. Glenn, go ahead. This discussion is really, really great. And the one question that keeps popping up for me is a question that came up from a lady that I know who's, who's going through her own awakening. But one of the things that she's really struggling with and she asked me about, and maybe other people in the group can chime in is, when you're escaping your past and you're leaving that, um, she has some experiences that she is ashamed of. She did some things that she's not proud of. And unfortunately, you know, in the communities that she lives in, it, it's kind of common knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, and so occasionally she faces some blowback from um, people on social media or in person. And it's really difficult for her. She's, she just feels like it's an inescapable problem that she can never get away from her past. And I think right now, especially with the way technology follows you and your past follows you, and we've seen celebrities, you know, have had biases in the past that were socially accepted, you know, like some of the humor on old SNL episodes is kind of shocking, you know, kind of shocking um, when Richard Pryor was on there and, and the type of humor was, I don't know that it would go down today, you know, but at that point it was, I guess, socially acceptable. 
And so as a collective, how do we navigate that and provide a space for thankfully people change, people grow up, people overcome their circumstances. And and how do we honor that? How do we, instead of looking at it and saying, geez, boy, they were a train wreck. And, you know, in in these instances of addiction, you know, these people were thieves, they stole from their families. How could you ever let them back into your home? Those kind of things. How do you provide that middle ground to allow a person the opportunity to be different? Well, who is it that needs to allow the middle ground? Because as individuals, we can't control anybody else. We can't control the external environment uh, to the extent of, uh, you know, I can't control what what other people do. I I can control who I uh, who I surround myself with. I can control, but then again, that that is based on those people, the choices of those people. That they choose to actually be around me, so I, so we if, so we can't control other people's actions, but I think we could hold space for them. Absolutely, you know? uh, we the, uh, what we're talking what we're talking about is the control, right? So we we can we can control how we act and how we think and how we how we speak, but we can't control everything around us. So if we can't control things around us, then it becomes our own responsibility, right? And our own responsibility in that respect is how am I how am I viewing these past experiences? Do I view myself as a victim in them? And uh, or am I going to take what's valuable from them and as a learning experience uh, for myself? as I move through life going forward. I mean, hell, I have plenty of stupid crap I did as a teenager and uh, as a kid. Um, thankfully, I grew up before before uh, social media and uh, mobile phone cameras and so forth. Um, but uh, still, when I go and hang out with my friends back in Sweden, you know, still talking about <laughs> stupid crap that we did as teenagers and it's one of those things they how do you own that and yeah every time it's brought up some particular silly thing or stupid thing i might have done it's that oh <laughs> you know but uh, am i going to allow that to affect me and the way i show up it's becomes a, a good um, it becomes a good trigger to learn how to show up in your own power and own your life and own the stuff that you've done um, so it's yeah no it, I'm not saying it, it's easy it's definitely challenging but the only thing that you can control is how you look at those experiences the individual responsibility is towards yourself but then for all of us here that may be a little further down the line on the path, we can then take individual responsibility to show up for others like say, and hold space for others, right? But that is a responsibility from an individual perspective. And I, as you know, I always talk about, you know, showing up with compassion, acceptance, uh, forgiveness, and gratitude. That's, those are my personal responsibilities. <laughs> And if people can allow themselves to do that in every situation, like 
the woman you were talking about, Glenn, the people in her community, if they showed up with that as their responsibility, then it would certainly make it a lot easier for this woman to own her, her story, own her history, right? Absolutely, yeah. Thanks. Uh, it's not something that. she can control. Exactly. I, I want to thank you every Wednesday you make my day. I'm, I'm leaving early because I have a class. So I want to say that the fact that you have been like um, victim of a bias of discrimination, it doesn't cure you from that type of bias. And I think that a lot. So the fact that you, for example, have been discriminated as a woman, it doesn't, it's not a cure for male chauvinism. And sometimes you take advantage of the system and you feel with the right to take advantage because you were a victim. And I, I always question myself, what is the role of identities in our society are on making the idea of the other to keep us like Glenn was saying, separated. And I think that's the, that's the estimate of bias. And to, to take in consideration that if you have been like in touch with discrimination, even as a victim or as a bully, you have that inside of you and it's something that you probably need, need a full life of cure because. Yeah, no, beautiful. Thank you, Tatiana. Um, yeah, and it was part of that owning your story and how you show up with your history, right? And how to not become part of the problem from a different perspective, but become part of the solution to solve the, the, the problem that, uh, that you have experienced as a victim or you may have experienced as a perpetrator, right? Am I understanding that correctly, Tatiana? Yes, for example, I'm from Cuba and we, I, I grew up 31 years in a country where you have like one thing like truth and it's comfortable to have one thing of truth. So I realized that the Cuban who emigrate, we, we tend to, we have a little Fidel Castro inside of us. <laughs> <laughs> Even though we quit everything, we have like a little, little dictatorship inside of, and we try to seek the same, like, so now it's not Castro, it's another person, the one that we have to follow. So when we are like under a bias, like vibration, it come with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Even though we were victim, it yeah. came with us. But that, that then becomes your personal responsibility to yeah. reprogram, right? I have a class. I love you. Thank you very much, guys. Thank you, Tatiana. I just wanted to reflect back on what Glenn was talking about with that whole societal thing. And it brought up the, uh, the, the famous scarlet letter from Nathaniel Hawthorne, because that's the whole Hester Prynne and Dimsdale, et cetera, where, you know, you have something that basically occurs for you and, you know, having been bullied in a, in a, in a school, basically where you become that one scapegoat for everybody for years and years and years and years, they don't give you a chance to have a second, Thing. So I think when you're the recipient of that, it's a little bit different. So I have mad compassion for your friend, Glenn, in that sense of where, you know, having gone through, you know, a similar type of thing of where you get the stigma and the socialization of the fact that, you know, what you did when you were eight years old or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. And it's like, and I didn't even do anything. It just, I got, I got lucky pick of being the one that was the, 
you know, the scapegoat. But by the same token, I've shared on this podcast before that going to Europe on my own as an exchange student, I had a whole new set of people and they embraced me and they loved me and they thought I was amazing. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, I have a new perspective. It wasn't me. I just didn't get a second chance with people that had already decided that I had a scarlet letter on my on my chest and that I was just one note. And that's the complexity of the human being. We have so many different varieties and so many nuances and so many subtleties of things that we're figuring out. But yet, because people don't really want to take the time to get to know people, they'll usually put like a one word on somebody. Like this person is red, this person's green, this person's purple, this person's blue. We, we get to a point of where we literally start to just look at people from this like very one dimensional space and we don't allow them to expand in our minds. So therefore, I mean, like Drew Barrymore, you know, she talked about the fact that when she was a child, she was at clubs and she was drinking and doing drugs and all sorts of crazy stuff. But she wrote a cathartic book about how she reclaimed her own identity and she changed it. And now she's doing a talk show. And it's like, I love watching people in the public eye who go through multiple iterations of themselves. They go through multiple reinventions of, of, of trying out something new. But a lot of people buck up against that. They don't like it when sometimes people decide, you know, like, you know, Lady Gaga and Madonna are two people of where, you know, they've had so many Many varieties of things because they decide I want to do this kind of music or I want to look like this or I want to try this or I want to try that. That's the part about where then they can also challenge their own biases about how they present themselves. And I love to experiment with that all the time. I know food does as well. And it's those kind of things of stepping into these new, you know, spaces of where you really, really kind of enjoy, oh my God, there are so many flavors out there but you're still just eating vanilla every single day you know there's chocolate chip and then there's rainbow sherbet and it's like go out and experience and try different flavors and different things and and try it on to see if it fits and if it doesn't fit you can pick something else the next time and that's the beautiful thing is that we have so many cultures and so many people and beauty comes in all shapes and sizes and colors and if we just look at that from the perspective of the you know enormity of the acceptance that can be there rather than having this fine finite design of conformity it will literally allow people to expand in these beautiful versions of themselves and that personally is the world that i am wanting to live in and i want to expand into yes and that is a a choice we make right and it's a choice of like glenn was saying before it's the brave choice of showing up the way you want to show up authentically, right? And our authentic selves are usually not very palatable to the people or the communities we've come from before because they are oftentimes in uh, contravene that. So uh, go ahead, Glenn. Man, Tatiana really blew my mind with her perspective as far as you know really outing herself as having her little own Fidel Castro inside and 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 the bias question it just seems like the more we unpack it it's like a bucket of tar that it just is the more sticky it is the more messy it is because it seems as though what Tatiana was really referring to is that just like discrimination, regardless of how you paint it or how socially acceptable it is, is still a form of discrimination. And I see that, you know, in my day-to-day business dealings, um, one thing that'll come up is you'll have one person, an engineer say, oh yeah, well, that person listens to this specific news agency. And suddenly that individual's opinion is discounted and their input is discounted. 
but within that group, that's an okay thing to discriminate against. And then vice versa, later on in this project, that individual, we really needed their expertise. <laughs> we really needed them to point out something that we couldn't see and saying, hey, look, this thing is piped absolutely backwards. And if we, we install it this way, it's never going to run correctly. It may run partly right, but it's never going to run correctly. And so, like you're saying, these biases, we have them in a lot of times we don't even recognize we do. And because we're getting this social feedback, like Barbie was saying, these echo chambers that we live in. Yeah, this is just so much more fascinating and perplexing than I even imagined it was. Well, it does get complex because, especially when you're talking about generality, because there are so many elements that feed into the bias in itself, um, which then becomes this behemoth that we try to handle all at once. So, for example, say we wake up to uh, a bias that we've, we've had racist views for, or we have had a racist bias. So you wake up to that. Now, how do you deal with that, uh, with all the complexities of how you behaved, how uh, you've thought, the people you have around you, your family, and so forth? Because oftentimes we don't develop these points of view from, uh, you know, just from organically within ourselves. They come because uh, something we've been exposed to, experiences we've had, Perhaps our upbringing, perhaps our parents were uh, racist or had a racist bias. Now, when we stand there and we say, I don't want to have a racist bias any longer, how do you do that? Because it's so complex, right? And that's where it's interesting to look at, okay, well, you don't need to tackle every single aspect of it, but to kind of look at more the simplicity of it and say, okay, well, First of all, how do you change your bias? Well, you change the environment around you, like Barbie is talking about. You change how you framed your experiences previously. And then you just have to let the new program run for a period of time. And then your bias will be changed, right? Uh, we, we put these mountains up in front of ourselves when it comes to personal development and change. And it... It doesn't have to be that challenge or the, not that big of a, a task, really. Uh, we do have to have patience and we do have to take one step at a time. So one foot in front of the other. And that's all we can do in that respect. Uh, and allow those changes to take, um, take hold within you over time and not expect things to change overnight. And that so, would, yeah, go ahead. So essentially, again, you've kind of pointed out a bias is that when we do start to become aware of our stuff and, and realizing there's a path out of it and that on the other side of it, you can have inner peace, then suddenly your focus is this level of compassion where you want that inner peace for everybody, but that's not for you to decide. And the, the, the thing that I think a lot of us get roped into, like you're saying that there's this mountain of change that needs to occur for our, for America to be better or for the UK to be better or India, wherever it is. When in reality, from what I can tell from what everyone has spoken on here is the real deal is 
that inner journey is the path to peace. There is no other journey. There is no other path we need to take. There is no mountain we need to climb. There's no one else we need to change but ourselves. From my point of view, exactly it. Because since you can't change anybody else, the only person you can change is yourself. And it has to start with yourself. And as you say, if you oftentimes when you reach that you know attain a certain level of inner peace or whatever it may be and if you haven't come to terms with those facts that you can't change anybody else then you're going to go you're going to sit there and think to yourself like you were saying in the beginning then heck i've been sitting here for half my life and wasting all this time and I this was all within me already, and why didn't I change sooner? And you, you go, you kind of go into this frenzy, right? And then you look at people around you and go, "Why isn't everybody doing this? This is so great! Oh my God, everybody should be doing this!" So you go out and start preaching to people and telling people they're idiots if they don't do what you've done, right? But then you, <laughs> you end up with that bias again from the other side, right? So it's that realization that if you make the changes within you and you just show up as that role model, then the people that are ready to make that take that step and change their biases um, or to question their biases, not necessarily change them, but question the biases um, because you don't want to change your bias for another one. You want to question it, and you want to question it to the point where it dissolves, and you question everything that you actually do, and it's the motivation that you question. So that's why this journey takes a lifetime, is because you're trying to transition from one bias to the next, and you become aware, and and that also gives your life texture, right? That also is part of being alive, and thankfully, it, it is that way. Otherwise, it'd be like watching a television program. You're like, I already know how it ends. I don't want to watch it again. Yeah. Well, you're setting steep goals for you to uh, self to uh, achieve this in a, in one lifetime. Well done. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Thanks for the amazing discussion. I, I have, there's a lot to ponder here. Yeah. Thank you. So. As I was saying, it really comes down to us allowing ourselves to question the our own journeys, question our own motivations, and uh, then move into looking at our own experiences from the past and how we can reframe them to uh, allow ourselves to question things going forward. So that then becomes the the solution for the biases that we hold. I'd just like to say that I think it's important to just acknowledge all the people that are on here and they're listening because ultimately this does take an enormous amount of courage and a lot of bravery. And I think that, you know, if you acknowledge yourself also for the fact that you're listening to these kind of podcasts and these kind of things of where you're trying to question things to be able to find a way to live a better life, everyone in your environment benefits. So, and it's beautiful that you provide this space for people to come in and have deep conversations, Christopher. Thank you, Barbie. And yeah, it's, I don't, that's the thing. I don't need anybody to become like me. I want everybody to just become themselves, authentically themselves. And that's, that's the, uh, the, the purpose and the goal. So 
appreciate uh, all the work that you are all doing to show up here and uh, participate and share your views. So thank you for that. Well, thank you everybody for your time today and thank you for listening in and sharing for those who did and uh, have a great week. We'll see you next uh, Wednesday. Take care, everybody. Bye. So for many of us, until we dare to start asking questions about our own lives and where we stand and where we are, then uh, we, we get stuck in these biases and these patterns of behavior that might not be serving our highest good. I wish you all the best in your pursuit of uh, discovering your biases and your patterns. But if you would like some assistance, uh, you can certainly contact us at The Alchemy Experience and you just go to our website thealchemyexperience.co.uk and uh, click on the link to book a 30-minute free consultation and uh, let's have a chat and see how we might be able to assist you in uh, uh, revealing these aspects within yourself. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and that we'll see you soon again. But in the meantime, take care and have a good one.